Every person present, and all of those who are listening on Zoom or however they may be listening, have faith. We all have faith. It may vary in strength from what somebody else's faith is. Yours may be stronger. Yours may be weaker. We all have faith. We all may have fears. In fact, we all do have fears. And it may vary as to what and to the degree. In other words, it may vary into what we have fears of. Your fear may be of this, where I may fear something else. Or we may fear the same thing. And my fear may be greater than your fear. We all have faith. And we all have fear. There are extremes when it comes to faith and fear. On the one side of the extreme, there are some who think that if you have fears, your faith is weak. If you exemplify any kind of fear and you show there is fear in you over whatever it may be that you're fearing, then your faith is weak. You just need faith or you wouldn't have fear. On the other end of the spectrum, and these both are extremes, is the idea that if you're not driven by fear, then you're too carefree. And neither one of those, I think, mesh with what we're going to be seeing as we talk about fear and faith. Now, I want to raise the question, are those totally exclusive to each other? What I mean by that, if you have faith, does that mean you have no fears? You say, I have faith. I, I really, I have faith. Does that mean you have no fears? I don't believe that. I believe you do have fears. And I think I can show that in just a few moments from some scriptures. On the other hand, if you have some fear, does that mean you have no faith? Is that true? Are these totally exclusive one another? Is there any way that faith and fear can work together? That I can have fear, but at the same time I can have faith, and I can somehow make those work together? Is that possible? Is it possible to have some faith and some, or strong faith and some fear at the same time? Can I have both of those? Can I say, I'm, I'm fearful of, and then fill in the blank, whatever that may be, and we'll fill in the blank in a moment. And at the same time say, I have strong faith at the same time though. I have some fear, but I have strong faith. Now there are times when there is a clash between fear and faith. And when the clash comes, which one of those wins in your life? And so when faith and fear clash, is it that fear overcomes your faith or is it that your faith overcomes your fear? Are you driven by fear or are you driven by faith? Which one of those? Now today we have many fears. There are a number of fears that we may have. There's the fear of death. You say, well, I don't fear death. Well, Hang on a minute, you probably do have a fear of death. And we'll illustrate that in a moment. Every one of us probably do, to some degree. Sometimes there's the fear of old age. And the older we get, the more fearful we may become of getting older and what that brings with it and the complications thereof. Some have a great fear of being alone. And they make poor decisions sometimes about who they'll marry because their greatest fear is being alone. I don't want to be alone. I'd rather be with someone who may be a problem rather than being alone. Or maybe keep a mate they had every right to divorce and probably should have than to live alone. 
Some are fearful of the coronavirus. In fact, there's probably true of all of us to some degree. More about that a little bit later. Maybe there's the fear of an overreaching government. Maybe we have a fear that the government is going to take more of our rights away so that those are diminished until the point that we don't have the freedoms that we used to have or maybe the country's gone. There's fear. Sometimes we have fear of failure. We see that all through the Bible, from Matthew 25 back to Exodus 3. Fail, or fearful that we're going to fail. Sometimes we're fearful of rejection. That we're going to be rejected by family, we're going to be rejected by friends or by the world or by our co-workers, and we're fearful of that. Maybe it's financial strain that we're fearful of. I'm just giving a sampling, and that all this is all this is is a sampling of different kinds of fears that we may face. Now, there are many passages that talk about fear and faith, and let's talk about this to get kind of a flavor of what the Bible says about that. Let's start with two of these. There are passages that contrast fear and faith, and the the term fear may not be used, and faith may not always be used in these passages, but there is the principle of faith and the principle of fear. Let me give you two, and we're going to come back to the context of these later, so I'm just going to hit these quickly at this juncture. In Matthew chapter 6, that's where Jesus is talking about anxiety and worry, worrying about your food and your clothing and shelter, and he rebuked the disciples saying, O ye of little faith. So here is anxiety, that's fear, in contrast to faith. Do you remember the occasion when they were in the boat in Matthew chapter 8, verse 25 and 26, and the disciples were concerned, and they said, Lord, save us. And we, we perish, they said. They thought we we're going to die in the, in the storm or in, in the, from the boat. And Jesus said, oh, ye of, why are you fearful, O ye of little faith? So Jesus contrasted fear with faith. So sometimes the Bible contrasts the two. But let's go further. The Bible also tells us at times, do not fear. Don't have fear in your hearts. Do not fear him that is able to kill the body. What does that mean, really? We'll talk about that in a moment. In 2 Timothy 1.7, Paul told Timothy that God has not given us the spirit of fear. In other words, that in the context deals with timidity, being a little timid and, and drawing back and in the context of don't be ashamed of the gospel. Timothy, don't be timid. So the Bible tells us not to fear, but let's go further. Paul said he was in fear. Now that's interesting. We talk about if you have fear, you don't have faith. Well, Paul said he had fear. Let's see what he said about that. In 1 Corinthians chapters 2 and in verse 3, when he went to Corinth, you think about going to a city like Corinth would be like you trying to go and start uh, uh, a church in the middle of a city like Vegas or like Atlantic City uh, where there's corruption all around. And he said, I went there and I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. Paul, was there fear in your heart? And he said, absolutely so. There was fear. Let's go to another passage in 2 Corinthians chapter uh, 7 and in verse 5. And we're going to make a point about this a little bit later. I just want to lay the groundwork here. 2 Corinthians 7 and verse 5, he talks about things he endured and the suffering he said, For indeed when we came to Macedonia, our flesh had no rest, and we were troubled on every side. Outside were conflicts, and inside were fears. Paul, are you saying when you went to Macedonia there was fear? And he said, you bet there was. So the Bible does talk about faith and fear. So let's talk about fear and faith in our study tonight. 
But I want you to listen very carefully. Then I want to make a balanced approach to this. Why do I say a balanced approach? Because sometimes we're standing off over here on the side of faith and, and we're looking at anybody who has fear saying, if you've got fear, you don't have any faith. I don't think that's justified. Let's go to the other extreme, which we already have. And there's some over here who are fearful, who are saying, if you're not driven by fear like I am, then your faith is really careless. That's not true faith. And so I bid you listen carefully. Let's, let's talk about a balanced approach. And here are three things that we're going to see. So you can kind of see where we're headed. And don't get ahead of me and say, well, what you need to be talking about is, well, we may get to that. So let's hear, here's what we're going to talk about. Let's talk about holding on to faith, what faith is and what it does. How we use faith. What it means to us. And then secondly, I want us to see that having, there's such a thing as having real fears. Fears are real. Secondly, and then harmonizing the two of those. How can I take these real fears and real faith and make them work together? Is there a way? And does the Bible even give me an example of that? So let's start with this. Let's talk about holding on to faith. We'll come to fears in a moment. Let's just focus on faith for a little bit. Holding on to faith. Let's start with this concept. Faith is based upon evidence. Romans 10, 17, you know the passage well. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. So what I learned from that is that true faith is rooted in the word, which is rooted in evidence. So here's what that means about my faith. My faith is not a blind leap in the dark. So my faith is not a thing where I say, you know what, here's what I think. And I'm just going to take a big leap out there and say that's the way it is. That's not faith. My faith is not a baseless dream of the way I want it to be. So my faith is not when I look at what's going on in government, here's my dream of what I think things ought to be, and that's where my faith is. Or here's what I think God could do, and I wished what God would do with reference to disease and this virus, and so I just take a leap out there, and this is what I think. True faith is rooted in the Word wherein I can find evidence for what I believe. Let's go secondly about that. Let's talk about what faith means. If I have faith, what does that mean to me? Here's what it means. It means, number one, that I believe in God and I believe that He exists. He that cometh to God must believe that He is, Hebrews eleven six. But believing and having faith doesn't just mean I believe God exists. It also means that I trust what he says. Let me give you two examples of that. Do you remember in the middle of the storm in Acts 27, we recently talked about this on Sunday morning. And then just before that, we've studied from Acts in our Bible study on Sunday morning. But right in the middle of the storm where the... Luke had said, the writer of the book said, we had thought all hope for life was gone, verse 20. In other words, we were goners, we thought. That's how bad the storm was. Then he said, that is Paul said, that an angel stood by me and told me there would be no loss of life. You remember what Paul said? He said, I believe God that it should be just as he told me. What I'm trying to get you to see is, faith trusts what God says. Even when things look to the contrary. Now we were standing from Romans 4. So if you're in Bible class, this is familiar ground. So let's go to Romans chapter 4 and see the case of Abraham. He trusts what God said. God said you're going to have a child when he was about 100 years old. Sarah was old as well. No way that this could happen 
under normal circumstances for them to have children, but God said, you're going to have a child. How did he react? Look at verse 20. Verse 20. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith. Verse 21. Being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was also able to perform. Faith means I trust what God says. We'll see about how that applies in a moment. Now let's talk about how faith becomes an anchor. And all we need an anchor in the midst of a storm. How does faith become an anchor? Well, you see, it's what anchored Job. Do you remember when Job had all the turmoil that he had? He lost his, he lost his possessions. He lost his health. He lost his children. But in the middle of all of that, he said, I know this. He said, I know my Redeemer lives. He shall stand at last. He held on for dear life with his faith. That's what anchored Job. That's what anchored Moses. Let's turn over to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. A lot of things are said about Moses and his faith, but I want you to notice verse 27. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king. He wasn't worried about what the king did. He wasn't worried about any threats of the king. He was a man who, who fled Egypt, and he did it by faith. That's what anchored Moses. Let's turn to chapter 10, back up one chapter in Hebrews chapter 10. We have to hold on for dear life to our faith. Notice in verse 35, do not cast away your confidence which has great reward. And notice he says at verse 39, we are not of those who uh, draw back unto perdition, but those who believe. In other words, keep on believing to the saving of the soul. We hold on for dear life to our faith. Alright, here's what we've established so far. We're holding on to faith. What does that mean? Well, faith is based upon evidence. Not a dream of what I'd like for it to be. It's based upon evidence. It means I trust what God says, and that becomes an anchor. And what I want us to understand is strong faith is going to be needed when a storm comes. And you may be facing your storm now. If you're not facing it now, you may face it in the future. Maybe you've already come through your storm. But there's going to be a time when you're going through a storm and you're facing a storm and you're going to have to hold on for dear life to your faith when you don't have anything else to hold on to. You're going to have to be like Job and say, I know my Redeemer lives. I don't understand what's going on. I don't know what God's doing here. I don't know what the outcome's going to be, but I'm holding on for dear life. Now with that as a backdrop, let's talk about a second thing. Let's lay some other principles on the, on the table and then we're going to come back and pick those two principles up and see if we can make them work together. Let's talk about having real fears. Having real fears. To tell someone who is afraid, you don't need to fear. It's like telling a child that's afraid of the dark, you're silly, the dark's not going to hurt you. I want to tell you, that doesn't remove their fears. They still are afraid of the dark. And their fear is real. Now you know the dark's not going to hurt you, but they may not know that. So telling someone that has fears, you don't need to fear, is not the approach that's going to work. Now here's what we mean by a balanced approach. Let's go to the book of Ezekiel. Do you remember Ezekiel went and worked among the captives? And the text says that I sat where they sat. What does that mean? I walked in their shoes. I looked at it from their vantage point. I looked at it through their eyes. I saw how it felt to be a captive. I saw what it was like to be in from their standpoint. 
Those that I have known among brethren who've been very effective at answering and dealing with religious error, almost every one of them exclusively, have been people who have been able to set where they set it. In other words, they begin to look at this, this false concept through the eyes of the false teacher so they better understand that concept and then they can refute it. Not agree with it, but understand it. So let's try to understand things from the vantage point of the person who may be in fear. Maybe a government overreach of a pandemic, whatever it may be. Set where they set. See it through their eyes. So let's start with this. Let's understand that we all have fears. You have fears. In fact, David said in Psalm 31, 13, that fear was on every side. This was on one of the occasions when he was fleeing from an enemy. Perhaps Absalom. He said fear was on every side, he, uh, all around. And, and maybe that, cons- that phrase would apply. They're not directly talking about us. I understand he's talking about himself. But that principle may apply to all of us. There's fear on every side. We all have fears. There are many occasions where we would have to say, like the one talent man, that we don't want to be identified with him. Do you remember what he said when, when he failed to do his job? He said, I was afraid. Now, if you'd be honest in your heart, you'd have to say, you know, there are times that I have not done what I should have. And the reason was, I was afraid. Why didn't you talk to that person about the gospel when you had the opportunity? Well, I, I was afraid they would, they would reject it. See, same principle. I was afraid I didn't have a, uh, that they wouldn't listen. Whatever the case may be, we sometimes are like that person. I'm just trying to drive the principle we all have fears. You see, fear is why we take precautions. When I point my finger and say, you, you have fears, you don't have faith. Wait a minute, wait a minute. I have fears too. That's why we take precautions. Who wouldn't have fear under some circumstance? Are you telling me if you had a gun in your face that you wouldn't fear? I doubt anyone present unless it be Jared's ever had a gun pointed to him. I don't know about that. But I do know of brethren who have had guns to their head. And I won't tell you, they'll tell you they were absolutely scared out of their mind. So you don't have fears. We fear intruders, don't we? You say you don't fear that. Why'd you lock your doors in? Why do you have a weapon? Say you don't have a gun, okay. You have a ball bat by the door where in case of, you've got weapons probably around your house you thought about using. We're driven to some degree by fear. We fear government overreach. I don't care which side of the, the aisle you're on. You may think this uh, party over here is going to be the one that's having the government overreach. And others say, no, it's that party that's got the government overreach. We're fearful of government overreach. You say, no, I'm not afraid of that. Well, then why did you vote? And why are we all complaining in recent days? We're fearful of that. We fear sickness. You say, I don't fear sickness. Well, why do you wash your hands before you eat? And, and why, why do we take our vitamins? And, and why do you try to be, well, you do that because we're fearful of sickness to some degree. But now let's go to a second point. There are varying degrees of fears. 
And that's seen in the biblical principle in Nehemiah 7 and verse 2. This is a passage that talks about fear toward God. I understand that. But this passage tells me that Hananiah feared God more than many. That tells me there are varying degrees of fear when it comes to fear of God. So you say, I've got the fear of God. And I say, I've got the fear of God. But I fear may be different. You may fear God more than I do. Or maybe the other way around. The same thing could be true about anything else that we may fear. You see, one is afraid of an intruder. They've got fear. But they take measures. They put locks on their doors. They put alarms on their doors. They may put a ball bat by the door. And then they go on with life. And it doesn't just shut them down. But another person is fearful of an intruder. And it literally stops them in their tracks. They can't sleep at night. And they can't stay at the house by themselves. I'm not ridiculing that. I'm just showing different degrees of fear. They both are fearful of an intruder. Now, listen to this carefully. Fear does not disappear with faith. See, I think we've got the misunderstanding sometimes. Well, if I just have faith, then I don't have any fear. Some have even gone, very few, and I I put the percentage way down, where if you have faith, you won't even get sick in this pandemic. So if you're getting sick, it's because you didn't have faith. That's absurd. But I want you to understand this principle that fear does not disappear with faith. That's like temptation, which fear can be temptation. Doesn't go away. Let's talk about temptation, then we'll come back and make application to fear. Temptation doesn't go away just because you've decided you're going to serve God. Say, I'm done with sin, I'm done with it, and I've put it aside, and I've forgotten about it, and I've repented of that, and I've made my decision, I'm going to serve the Lord. Temptation doesn't go away because of that. In fact... 2 Peter 1 would tell me it's a constant battle. That's why you add to your faith virtue to virtue, knowledge, knowledge, temperance, self-control, because there's a constant battle. You'll be battling all your life with temptation. It may be various temptations, but you'll battle with it all your life. Temptation didn't go away. In fact, 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 12 says, we learn to handle and resist that. There is no temptation taking you, but such is common to man. God has provided a way to escape. And so what I'm learning from those passages is that temptation doesn't go away. I'm just learning how to handle that. Well, the same principle is true when it comes to the matter of fear. What we do is we learn how to handle and resist the temptation. We learn how to handle fear. Fear doesn't go away. Let me illustrate. Fear of the true intruder. You say, I'm fearful of the intruder. And that's why I bought locks and put on my door and I bought an alarm system and I bought a weapon That fear doesn't go away just because you take precautions. What you've learned to do is handle and reduce that fear. The fear of government overreach is not gone with the change of administration. If you thought the last administration was was there was government overreach, your fear hasn't gone away just because we got a new administration. And if this one goes away and another one comes in, somebody likes, your fear doesn't go away. I was fearful of government overreach. Last year, and I'm fearful of it this year, the administration didn't make a whole lot of difference. I'm fearful of it. And so are you. Let's look at this principle. Fear of COVID-19 is not gone just because someone washes their hands and they wear a mask and they get a vaccination. The reason they're doing that is because of fear. What I'm trying to suggest to you, fear doesn't disappear just because we have faith. It doesn't control us, but it doesn't go away. Temptation doesn't go away. 
So just because I have strong faith doesn't mean my fear's all gone. That's the point we're driving. The difference is how we deal with that fear. We're going to talk about that here in just a second. Now, let's talk about great Bible characters that had fear. Now, this is not to justify all fear. I'm not saying by this that I can show here this Bible character had fear and you can say, well, yeah, but see, God didn't approve of that fear. I understand that. That's why I put here, that doesn't mean that all their actions were right. All I'm trying to drive at is fears are real. Let me give you some examples of that. Abraham feared for his life. You remember that? That's why when he went into a foreign place and he realized the fear of God is not in this place, and I thought they would kill me on the account of my wife, he lied about who Sarah was. Remember that? Why did he do that? He was fearful. That's why. Abraham feared. Now, I'm not approving of his lie, nor am I saying, therefore, you have the right to lie. That's not the point. The point is, here's a great Bible character, but he still had fears. Fears are real. Let me give you another example. Moses feared. He feared he couldn't do the job. And therefore, he made excuses. Remember, who am I to say, who am I to go, go deliver the people? And what shall I say who, sh who has sent me? Remember that? And what if they say, uh, what if they raise this question? What are we going to say about that God? He begins to make all kinds of excuses. Why was he making excuses? He was fearful. Here's another Bible character. Elijah feared opposition and he became discouraged. Remember how he was fleeing for his life? Why was he fleeing? Because he was afraid. You remember what he said? He said, I alone him left. He feared opposition and became discouraged. Peter feared the storm and the waves. He sank. Remember that? When he was walking on the water. And then there was Paul who feared, or Peter who feared the crowd. Remember he was fearful of the crowd and when he was asked, aren't you with him also? He denied the Lord as if he even knew who he was. And I'm not trying to justify. He was wrong in doing this. And so was, was Moses wrong in making excuses. No justification for the lie. But the point is, it was common for people to have fears. Great Bible characters had fears. But I add again to that. Paul feared opposition, but he pressed on. He said, when I came into Macedonia, there was fear on every, all around. Outside, he said, we had problems, but inside were fears. But he pressed on in spite of that. Now, let's go add to that. And I want to suggest to you that we could easily become fearful. I'm driving at this point that having fears is real. No one ever, not, or few if any, but no one sets down and decides, you know what, I think I want to be fearful. Fears are real. And that could easily happen to you and to me. How so? Well, you see, anxiety and worry is fear. Let's go back to Matthew chapter 6. Jesus is talking about the context of material things, what we may call materialism. Too much focus on the material. Jesus is talking about that. And what he's saying is that in my kingdom, your emphasis needs to be on the spiritual and not on the material. So he argues, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. In other words, don't put too much emphasis on material things. So I sit back and I say, you know what? I'm not overly interested in material things. I don't have to have the big fine car and the big fine house and and I'm not just after greedy after money. So I, I don't have that problem. Well, Jesus said, well, wait, 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 wait just a minute now. Wait just a minute. Look at verse 25. When you worry about your life, 
or you're filled with anxiety about what you'll drink or what you'll eat or body or what the clothes that you'll put on, what Jesus is saying, if I might paraphrase, is that's materialism too. That's the same thing. You see, this worrying and anxiety about material, what, what are we going to do if? How, how are we going to eat? How are we going to buy? How are we going to survive? How is this going to, come, how is this going to turn out? What if I were to lose my job and I'm worried sick to death over my financial matters? Jesus said there's a problem with faith. Look at verse 30. He said, oh, ye of little faith. Look at verse 33. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And if I may paraphrase, he's saying, God will take care of that with you. So what's the point? That could happen to any one of us. That we could become filled with anxiety and worry. Over material things. Discouragement is fear. You say, I'm not, I'm not fearful of the government. I'm not fearful of the virus. But I'll tell you what, we can get discouraged. Look at Deuteronomy 1 and in verse 21. This is in Moses' first sermon on the brink of their crossing over to begin the conquest. And he says to them, he said, look, the God, uh, the Lord your God has set the land before you. Go up and possess it. The God of your fathers has spoken to you. Do not fear or be discouraged. Do you notice how he used the term fear and discouraged? Seemingly synonymously, don't fear or be discouraged. Don't, don't be fearful. When you are discouraged, you are fearful. You see, I could become discouraged. It's so easy for me to have fear. Look at Psalm 55. I want to set this principle because we're going to come back to Psalm 55 in a moment. Psalm 55 verses 5 and 6. This has been called by Irvin Jensen the, the psalm of the sore distressed. You feel distressed? The psalmist felt that way. So David said this. He said it in verse 5. Fearfulness and trembling have come up over me and horror has overwhelmed me. He said, I'm full of fear. Know that I had wings like a dove and then I'd fly away and be at rest. Do you ever feel like I just, I wished I, I could be like a bird and I could just fly out of this mess. I'm just, I'm just fearful. I'm afraid of what's happening and what's going to happen. Discouragement is fear. We can be fearful of dying or being killed. You say, I'm not afraid of that. Well, could, could you not be like the disciples while, while it looked like things were not going to go well when a storm arose on the sea? And they said to the master, we're perishing, they said. We're going to die here. So it's going to happen. That's what they thought. Would you not think the same thing? Maybe it's not a shipwreck, but it might be a car wreck. Matthew 10, 28, do not fear him that is able to kill the body. You see, it'd be easy to become fearful and full of fear. Be afraid of dying, afraid of being killed. It's easy to be fearful and concerned about how people are going to react. And that's also called fear. Do you remember when the, uh, those who are in opposition to Jesus, the Pharisees, were asked concerning the baptism of John, is it of heaven or of men? And they said, if we say it's of men, no, we can't do that, though. No, we can't do that. Why can't you? Because we fear the multitude. Because they all hold him as a prophet. That is, John is a prophet. Uh, mm -mm. We, can't, we can't give that answer. Why can't you give that answer? Because we're fearful of the multitude. We're fearful of the reaction. Sometimes we're fearful of reactions. You see, being timid, Timothy, 
All indication is Timothy has a little timidity about him where he kind of drew back a little bit and Paul is writing to him saying, you need some courage. You need some boldness. You need to be one who is not ashamed of the gospel. God hadn't given us the spirit of fear or timidity, he said. So what have we just seen in this second section? We've laid the principle of faith down. We left that alone for a little bit and we picked up the principle of fear. What have we seen about fear? That all have fears. All of us have fear. There are varying degrees of fear. Fear doesn't just disappear because we have faith. There are great Bible characters had fear. Fear they shouldn't have had some of them. But fear, there was some fear that wasn't condemned like in the case of Paul. And we could easily fall into the principle of fear. Now, let's spend the rest of our time harmonizing the two. Is there a way to harmonize those? Can that be done? Are they exclusive one of the other? Two things. Number one, fear needs faith. Let that sink in for a moment. Fear, whatever fear you have. You have fear of dying. You have fear of sickness. You have fear of this coronavirus. You have fear of government overreach. You fear of where this nation is going. I don't care what fear it is. Fear needs faith. How so? Let's turn to Numbers chapter 14. What fear can do is cause us to have some problems. Let's set the context and then we'll go to the board. Numbers 14. Numbers 13 was the occasion where the spies were sent out from Kadesh Barnea. And most of them said, we can't go in the land. We can't do it. We're just no way. They're pessimistic. And remember Joshua and Caleb said, oh yeah, we can do it. That pessimism caused some problems for them. That fear cause some problems for them. What did it cause? Fear can cause us to miss opportunities. And so we won't read verses 26 to 28, but this is the occasion. If you have your Bible open to Numbers 14, just glancing over it, you may have some things underlined where God is rebuking them, saying to them that you'll by no means enter the land that I swore to give you. You're going to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. In other words, I was taking you to this land. You're not going to go there, but you're going to want in the wilderness, and then it's your children that's going to go there. Why? Because you feared. That's why fear needs faith. It's because fear can cause us to miss opportunities like they did here. I may miss some good opportunities because of my fear. Here's another thing about fear. Same chapter, back up to verse 2. Fear can make us afraid to live. Let that sink in for a moment. Fear can make you afraid to live. How so? Here's what they said. They murmured against Moses and the whole congregation and they said, if only we had died in Egypt or that we had died in the wilderness. In other words, the challenge is so great ahead of us of going into this land and conquering these giants I had rather have died while I was in Egypt than face my fears that are ahead of me. And I'd rather have died somewhere in the wilderness than face those fears that are ahead of me. I'd rather die. They were afraid of living. Fear can do that to you. Here's something else. Same verse. Same verse. Here's why fear needs faith. It's because fear can cloud clear vision. Fear can make my vision cloudy so I can't see clearly. Joshua and Caleb had this vision 
Alright, we can do what God said. We can go in and we can conquer and we can overcome. That's clear vision. The rest of them had clouded vision. All they could see was not victory. All they could see was giants in the land. So, they were saying things like, better for us to die back in Egypt. Let's go to 2 Chronicles chapter 20. Fear needs faith. I have fear. You have fears. Our fears need faith. Look at 2 Chronicles chapter 20 and verse 15. 2 Chronicles chapter 20 and verse 15. Do not, middle of the verse, do not be afraid nor be dismayed because of this multitude for the battle is not yours but God's. Don't look at it through human eyes. Realize God's with you. Look at verse 17. Do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow, go against them, out against them, for the Lord is with you. Fear needs faith. Whatever fear you have. Our fear needs faith. Now here's the second thing. I said two. Here's the second. Faith overcomes fear. Now remember we started by raising the question, we all have faith. We all have fear. They at times are going to clash. Which one wins out? Which one is the strongest? Sometimes our fear overcomes our faith. But our faith needs to overcome our fears. And that's why I've spent so much time saying that fear's not removed. That fear is still there. It's real. But faith overcomes that fear. You see, faith doesn't eliminate distraction. It merely shifts the attention. Back to 2 Chronicles 20. Fear doesn't take away the multitude. They're still there. They're still just as strong as they were while I had fear. But don't fear that because God's with you. Let your faith overcome that fear. Fear didn't go away. Still there. The cause of fear didn't go away. It's still there. Faith doesn't eliminate distraction. It merely shifts attention. Faith does not mean I'm not afraid at all. Let that sink in for a moment. If I have faith and deep faith and true and real faith, that doesn't mean I'm not afraid at all. I think sometimes we get the idea, if I have faith, I tell you what, I'm not afraid. Let a gunman come and just stick his gun to my head and I'm not afraid at all. I want to tell you, he sticks a gun to my head. I am shaking in my boots. And you will too, I guarantee it. But here's the thing about faith. Faith doesn't mean you're not afraid at all. Courage means you're scared to death and you saddle up anyway. Sometimes we see one who saddles up and, and presses on in the midst of that battle like that multitude of Second Chronicles 20 and we say he's foolish. He should have been afraid. And others say, oh no, he's not afraid. He's got faith. Tell you what, he was afraid and had faith at the same time. He can be afraid. I know the multitude, but I have greater faith than I have fear. That's the idea. Let's look at a few passages. So if you haven't already got your Bible out, let's just trace a few passages now to close our, our study out. Let's go to Psalm 34. And I want to be clear. I don't want us to misunderstand what we're saying. So let's, 
Here's what we're going to see from these passages. We're trying to harmonize the two, but here's the point we're making. Faith does not mean you're not afraid at all, but faith overcomes fear. In other words, when we're, we're trying to keep a balance of faith and fear, and I'm trying to see which one is, is the greater, I need to have greater faith than fear. Psalm 34, verse 4 now. Psalm 34. Psalm 33 and Psalm 34 are twin psalms, meaning they go together and they deal with fear of God. But interesting, right in the middle of this fear of God, he talks about other fear. Look at verse 4. Verse 4, I saw the Lord and He heard me and He delivered me from all my fears, He said. He's talking about our, our fear of God in the context, chapter 33 and chapter 34. Oh, fear the Lord, you His saints, verse 9. So if I truly have this fear of God, and I'm going to cry out to God, and God's going to help me, and God, notice again the wording of verse 4, He delivered me from all my fears. Now while you're in that same book, let's back up a little bit, two or three pages, and go to Psalm 27. This sounds familiar because we sing a song based on this psalm. The Lord is my light, Psalm 27, 1, and my salvation, whom shall I fear? Because the Lord is who He is and He's the powerful, the almighty God, then who shall I fear? The Lord is my strength. Of whom shall I be afraid? Look at verse 3. Though an army should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. The war shall arise against me. In this I will be confident. What's he saying? I don't know. I'm not afraid at all. No, my faith is greater than my fear. My faith is greater than my fear. Psalm 55. Now, I said we would set the pace for that, but I didn't give you the conclusion in Psalm 55. We do injustice to that psalm if we only looked at the first part. So let's go to Psalm 55 now. And notice back at verses 5 and 6. This was that psalm of the sore distressed. Psalm of David, perhaps. The time of Absalom. The time of rebellion. And while this rebellion is going on, and, and David had said this back at verse 5, he said, fearfulness and trembling have overcome me, and horror has overwhelmed me. I'm, just, I'm, I'm overwhelmed with fear. I wish I could just fly away and be at rest. But then notice at verse 17, he tells the process he went through. He said, evening, morning, and noon, I pray and cry out to the Lord. And God, verse 19, will hear. Now notice verse 22. Here was his conclusion Here's how he felt before, and now he turned to God in prayer, and here's how he felt afterwards. Look at verse 22. Cast your burden on the Lord and He will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. Had a different outlook now. What are you saying, David? What I'm saying is I was full of fear, but my faith overcame my fear. Fear at verse 5 and 6. His faith led to prayer, and he overcame his fear, verse 22. See the process? Let's go again. Let's go to the New Testament this time. Our fear of God should be greater than our fear of man. Now let's go to Matthew 10, 28. We quote this verse frequently, but what is it really saying? Fear not at him that is able to kill the body. Let's, let, let's put it in its context now. Beginning about verse 16, earlier in the chapter, the, the Lord is telling the disciples that... In verse 17, beware of men, for they will deliver you up to councils and scourge you in the synagogues. And you'll be brought before governors and, uh, for, for, and before kings for my sake. In other words, you're going to go forth and preach, and you're going to face persecution. 
I don't know about you, but if I were to be arrested for preaching the gospel, I think I'd be, be just a little bit afraid. And I bet you would too. And if it came to the point, they said, I'll tell you what we're going to do. We're going to keep you in prison for life. I'm really going to be afraid. And if it came to the point, they said, because you have influenced other people to believe the same thing, we're thinking of executing you and we're setting a date for that, I would be trembling in my boots. And so would you. Now in that context, here's what Jesus said. Do not fear those who kill the body. Are you kidding me? He's got a sword. He's, he's swinging at me right now. And I'm not supposed to be afraid of that. He's pointing a gun at me right now. And he said he's going to execute me. And I'm not supposed to be afraid of that. What does he mean? I do not think. That Jesus is saying, don't be fearful at all. In other words, don't say, I ain't scared of you. The point is, you have your fear of God is far greater than your fear of man. Don't fear Him. Don't be so fearful that you cave to the pressure. Oh yeah, you're going to be afraid of man and you're going to be fearful of man. But what you really need to be concerned about is your fear of God. Now read it in that line at verse 28. Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him that is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Yes, I'm afraid of him. And yes, it makes me tremble. And yes, I'm afraid. But my fear of God must be greater. I don't think the text is saying, I'm not fearful at all. It's just saying, if they kill me, that's okay. Because I have a fear of God that's greater than my fear of man. We're talking about faith overcoming fear. Now let's go to one more New Testament passage in the lesson will be yours. <clears throat> Revelation 2.10. And you say, oh yeah, I know that passage. It's the one that says, and you can quote a portion of that, I'm sure. Well, let's go back and look at the beginning of the verse. And put it in its historical context. Whatever position you take on the dating of the book, I think it was a late date in the day of Domitian. You say, well, I think it was an early date. It was under Nero. Fine. Point's the same. There was severe, horrible persecution of Christians. Some of them being burned at the stake because they would not denounce the Lord. Are you a follower of Christ? And if you said yes, you might be tied to a stake and set a fire and burn. Now, in that context, look beginning at verse 10. Do not fear any of those things that you are about to suffer. Are you kidding me? When I've heard of this one being burned at the stake and that one being a sword cut his head off. And I'm going to face some of these and I'm not supposed to be afraid. Do not be afraid. Do not fear those things that are about to come upon thee. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you in prison. That he may be, uh, that you may be tested and you will have tribulation ten days. Things are about to go from bad to worse. And he says, don't fear any of that. Are you kidding me? I'm supposed to say they throw me in prison. I'm not afraid of that. I think we'd all be fearful of that. But notice what he does say. Here's what he says. Are you reading with me? Be thou faithful until death. 
That is to the point of death. Because that's what he just mentioned. You may be put to death for your, your faith. Be faithful even to the point of death and you'll have a crown of life. See, that's what's more important than the fact they're going to throw you into prison. Oh yeah, I'm fearful of that. Oh yes, I'm fearful if they say they're going to kill me. But my fear of God should be greater. My faith should be greater. Faith needs to overcome fear. So what have we seen here? Fear needs faith. We all have fear, but we need faith. And faith overcomes fear. Here's the point. We all have fears, but faith must be greater. I, I don't want to look at someone and say, you're fearful of, of what's going on in government. You must not have faith in God. God's in control. Well, yeah, God's in control. But I don't want anybody looking at me and saying, you don't seem to be just really terribly upset about what's going on in the government. And the government overreach and losing our rights. You're so carefree about that. No, what I want you to understand is that I'm fearful of that, but I have faith that God is on His throne, which is far greater than my fear of government. I don't want to look at someone and say, you have fear of the virus, and, and you're more afraid than I am, and therefore you don't have faith. I understand their fears. I have fears of it too. I don't want somebody looking at me and saying, you're careless. I want them to understand, I hope my faith is greater than my fear. What about your faith? Fear says, what if? Faith says, even if. There is a big difference in that. Is your faith saying, what if, about government? Is your faith, fear saying, what if, about the virus? Or is your faith saying, even if whatever happens with the government, even if whatever happens with the virus, even if, here is my faith. Fear and faith. Holding on to faith, having real fears, trying our best to harmonize the two. This was an appeal for a balanced study. Hopefully, it is received in that vein. There may be one or more present who's not a Christian, who's not a child of God. Would you come believing that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God? Would you repent of your sins, acknowledge your faith, and be buried in the waters of baptism for the remission of sins? If you're subject in any way, would you come while together we stand and while we sing?